old slides up. You're going to get the slides out? Yeah. If you, you've, so you've had a look at them, you've been through them, mm. you know exactly what we're going to talk about. Exactly. They look very colourful. That was your New Year's resolution, wasn't it? I love New Year's resolutions. Do you? Tell me. Talk me through them. Uh, one one was on the fitness front, but I've got chest infections. So that's that hasn't very not well. Good start. Well, no, that's quite good. I think the other one is... Um, have you seen these time usage clocks that I keep I, do you keep getting ping them on Instagram no I think it's actually quite a good idea it's just like a round circular clock and you can put it at your desk and you tap it and it'll do like a sorry for tapping 30 minutes and I think it would actually be quite good to have the numbers going down to show the wasted time yeah is that what lawyers use when they bill people they have little what, timers on their desk that's what they? investment managers are going to use going forward <laughs> but Probably like you, I feel I spend 20 hours a day, except for the four hours I sleep, on email or reading stuff to do with work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite difficult to quantify how efficient you are. I suspect I'm very inefficient. I think but that's, you've got yeah. to get the information in somehow. That's right, yeah. It is... Use of time, I think, is massive. Yeah. Um, and being critical of myself, I don't think I'm very time efficient. I think we all have those moments some days, more but than others. But it's quite difficult to tell if you are efficient or not because you do need to, particularly in our job, we're reading so much. We've got to get the information in. Um, and then you've got to make have take your view and the rest of it. And also, as you know, we get pulled into get pulled into various meetings and, you know, and then you've got clients coming in, which are obviously very important. You've got to pitch documents to do. And if you've got a big meeting in a day, you could do nothing apart from that meeting which is four hours beforehand prepping, heavy meeting, and then you're writing up after, and then it puts you back a day. It's... It can yeah. get pretty relentless. Time efficiency. Okay. Time so, efficiency, Hughes's top tip for the year. Yeah. Mine um, is a bit less social media and a bit more reading of books. I've bought a Hasn't lot... Hasn't started very well. I've bought a lot of books <laughs> recently. Yeah. But I don't read them. No. The train, I always think, is a good idea. Well, that comes back to what you're talking about, though. You spend so much of your day reading things mm. and writing emails. And by the time I get on the sofa at 8.30 after the kids have gone to bed and after you've fed yourself, last thing I feel like doing is picking up a book. I don't know. It depends what book you're reading. Yeah, well, if it's light and easy, I think, yeah, I think if that's it's, fine. I think if it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fiction book or it's, you know, a biography or something, then that's fine. Mm. I think if you're trying to read a business book, Quite no. I, I just I, you've got to give yourself some time, haven't you? Mm. You've got, whether it's crap TV or, you know, I do things. I do. We've got actually that's a New Year's resolution. We have got a rule at home now, which is when the TV's on, which is very rare. We actually sit down together, but when we're watching something together, is the phones go in the other room. Mm, nice, I like that. Because how many times do you sit there doom scrolling? Yeah, half an hour's gone of the film, and you have 100%. to. You get a bit nervous about asking the wife what's going what's on because you know you're going to get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Maybe it's just my family. Mr. Hughes is a lucky girl. Uh, what do you reckon about the new surroundings, Hughesy? Room 32? Yeah, big ballroom. Big ballroom. No. It's not quite as posh, is it, as the client floors? No, I Carpet's think not as thick. I think we're going to have to do a roof, roof terrace. Roof terrace episode, yeah. Um, nodding his head. <laughs> not today, though, because it's one degree and snowing outside off the back of biblical floods. Is it snowing? Yeah. <laughs> it's just been outside now. I haven't had lunch yet. It's horrible. Uh, we better get cracking if you know I had lunch. I'm, you know, worried about your health is top of my priority list. Season, but 
with that we'll go. Um, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Taking Stock After the Bell, um, episode 23 and the first episode of 2024. So um, cool. resolution chat all done. Um, resolutions probably all broken by now. So we've always been we've always been doing this for a year now, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. Who'd have thought it? Eh? Who'd have thought it? And here we are. Um, so what I thought we'd do is we'd do sort of a rundown of what happened in 2023, what the stories were, what the narratives, um, what the talking points were, just in case anyone had their head buried in the sand for a year. Um, seems unlikely, but um, and we're definite. Well, I'm definitely not. Heezy might well throw in a load of predictions to 2024 whilst we're at it, but we'll. We'll I think based on 85% of economists predicting a recession in 2023, <clears throat> three. Probably yeah. shouldn't make that includes us, by the way. Yeah, I know it's so us. We can't hide from that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we <sighs> did sit there probably on the first or second pod saying we're quite convinced the next 10 years won't look like the last in terms of who's leading the market. I know. And what happened? <laughs> I mean, but I think it's important to put your hands up and say we did not expect that last year no well we'll come think, on we'll come on to that yeah. in particular but um it was a uh, i mean it was i mean so considering how i felt at the beginning of last year i'm absolutely delighted with the outcome mm, i think that's fair we've, we've seen you know we've had fed pivot yeah i mean take everything away total returns of client portfolios were very nicely positive decent um and we've got a chart of that as well that's good. So um, we'll kick off with our first chart. Um, and really, I guess, what caused the issues in 2022 in the first place was inflation going from basically nothing to um, double digits in the Western world. Um, we all know the reasons why. Mm. Supply chain problems, commodities, war in Ukraine, um, partly, yeah, partly pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Gas prices. Yeah. Late wages have gone up as well because there seems to be a shortage of everyone around and we got this kind of 10%, 12%, 11 figure. And, um, you know, we all said it would come down pretty quickly and the chart is pretty extraordinary. It has come down and the last month, the October UK CPI mm. number was really weak. So that blue line here, which is the UK, back below 4%, the red line is the US, mm. back to almost normal territory. I mean, the... the um, Economist expectations are that this flattens out a little bit in the short term. I don't think it's carrying on going straight down, but pretty extraordinary, really, if you think about it. Yeah. How it's just totally unwind. I mean, Some was, of its base effects. I clearly. mean, it was transitory. <laughs> transitory, after all. Well, that's years. right. If, if we're here in 10 years' time, we put this chart back up, it's transitory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was quite scary when the US had US inflation had really dropped off a cliff and we were still heading skywards. Yeah. That would have been August. No, probably slightly before. Yeah, I guess August. July, August, July, time. August, September. When you, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and what's that? And the yellow line is eurozone. Europe. Yeah, which is yeah. down to two percent almost. Now, I, it's a question lots of clients ask me, so I'm going to ask you. Um, Hang on a minute, I'm the one who hosts. You ask, I, I ask you the questions. We're doing reverses. <laughs> what? Why is it so hard to get? What? Why? Everyone says it's very easy to get inflation back down to four. Why is it so hard to get from four to two? I don't know actually. The only thing I can think of is that wages, wage growth is still pretty elevated. Yeah. And part of the reason why is that inflation went up, people's wages lagged. Yeah. So as inflation comes down, people are still trying to get their pay rises yeah. back that they feel like they're clawing back. Do you and think therefore... it's just giving us all a bit more ammunition to have those conversations? <laughs> Did my review this morning. <laughs> Banging the table for a pay rise. No. Um 
Uh, well, people, most people, if they're in a job, they only have a pay review once a year, typically. Mm. Is that fair? And it's normally March, April time, I think. Yeah, Generally speaking. Um, or you change jobs. So that's why that wage thing lags. And then most of our economy is services. Uh, mm. We seem to do a good trade in coffee shops around the world these days. In the UK, is what we're pretty good at. And, you know, that's a kind of classic service business that's labour intensive. And therefore, it's probably yeah. the single biggest line item. So maybe service price inflation is a bit stickier even as yeah. petrol prices come down at the pump, et cetera, and, and electricity and gas prices come down. So I don't know that, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some people say that actually four to two should, shouldn't take very long at all, and it, it won't be hard. But. Well, that's sort of what I've been thinking, is mm. why is it so difficult to get down? And, I mean, the Fed must have seen, to, 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 for power to stand up and, and say what he did in terms of the pivot, they must be seeing something. And they're not going to cut. Theoretically, they shouldn't be cutting if inflation's still four, you know, three and a half, four-ish, because you know part of their dual mandate is inflation back two percent too. Yeah. So they must be. They must have some confidence that it falls back that mm. way. I mean, the oil price is helping, isn't it? Yes. I think there's a lot of supply coming out of the US, and I've heard shale rigs are back up and running yeah. again, which I'm sure we were told six months ago couldn't happen. Mm. But no, agreed. Seems to be. Seems to be back up again. Yeah, um, OPEC's falling apart slowly, isn't it? It so. is. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the the issues in the Middle East have sort of threatened the oil price a little mm. bit, and we had a few days where we had a bit of a spike. But mm. of course, that's from... one thing: is what's going on in the Red Sea? Is that going to cause yeah. supply issues? Yeah, well, that was that was. A chart on that? I don't know, but that was that was arguably what kicked it off in the first place in twenty twenty one when the Evergrande, Evergreen, Evergrande. What was the ship that was stuck in the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah um, that was the sort of the, the high point, wasn't it, yeah. of the supply chain issues when everyone's barbecues were stuck in a ship in the sewers. Um, and we might get the same. I don't know. Um, that's one definitely one to watch in the yeah. short to medium term. I saw a really good chart the other day posted by someone on LinkedIn of um, movements of containers around yeah. the world. And there's just nothing. Nothing. Yeah, no, I've seen Suez that. Yeah. Sea, and it's all going round the bottom of Africa. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine is a <clears throat> is a ship broker and mm -hmm. he said repricing's already happening. And he gave me gave me a quote um of an example on, on some of a deal they've just done and it seemed like an extraordinary large amount of money. But he said actually that was only five, six percent higher. He said a lot of the cost is on insurance. Okay. You know, if they're trying to push it through Suez, yeah, then the, the or, or Red Sea um you know, the insurance premiums and things attached to that are really high. So, going round. I think I mean, Africa it's, it's a classic kind of Donald Rumsfeld known unknown, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what probably hurts investors more is the unknown unknowns, which yeah. Yeah. there's no point trying to predict many of those. No. Um, so then I guess the second story of the year related to inflation moderating was interest rates, and this is UK and US base rates um, going back to 1994, and we can see they carried on going up. So they started the year about two and a half, three, um, and they ended the year five and a quarter, five and a half. Um, and we've actually we've had a few holes, haven't we? So the story was rates carried on going up, um, and I guess the other part of that story is we didn't have a recession, despite what everybody said this time last year, which was amazing, really. And I think the other stat, which I don't have a chart for, but there was um, the Resolution Foundation came out the other day and said, UK households in aggregate have earned more in additional 
income from higher interest rates on savings than they paid in more mortgage, mortgage yeah, deposits, mortgage well. interest. So net net, UK households have benefited from higher rates. I mean, it's got to be skewed because of the top end, right? Top end and fixed rate mortgages is the story there. Yeah, yeah. people's mortgages. You know, I mean, we we talked a lot early last year. We had um, Mike Bell, yeah, wasn't Mike it? Bell, exactly yeah. from JPM on um, in terms of the amount of mortgage debt that was going to be rolled. And I can't. Did he say sixty percent would would have been done by the end of twenty three? 24 perhaps yeah so quite a low proportion yeah because most mortgages are five-year fixes yeah so still the majority of people have yet to refix or yeah, re okay. so reset some rolling still but again i mean mortgages mortgage rates although interest rates are still obviously at the highest level they've seen i think mortgage rates have come off they have quite a reasonable amount haven't and that, that's related to my next chart actually oh, so thanks I'm for bringing that up I'm glad I read your your charts. (laughs) Because coming back to talk about the Fed pivot and how rates expectations have come down, this is a rather complicated looking chart. But I think for me, this is the story of at least Mm -hmm. the second half of the year and the last two months of the year. So we've got three lines here. So this is the market expectations of interest rates. And the blue line here, the top one is from the 5th of July and the grey line is from September and the red line, or is that red? Um, the reddish line Reddy is brown, yeah. December, end of December. And we can see that in July, on the 6th of July last year, the market expected interest rates to go to 6.5% just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in September, the market rate expectations for rates was five and a quarter, five and a half. And today, the market actually expects rates to fall into 2024, the end of 2024. Uh, so just this massive sea change in what the market thinks the Bank of England are going to do over the next 12, 15 months. And that's probably why you've had a big kind of relief rally in lots of areas of financial markets, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's why if you're refinancing your mortgage today onto a two or five year fix, the rate's probably a lot lower than it was mm. back at the start of 2023. I don't know what a five year, I don't know what a five year would be, but surely it starts with a four. I think it's in the definitely in the fives. I'm not sure if it's four yet, but it can't okay. be far away. Maybe it is four. I don't know. Should probably probably have a look at that at some point. But what was what would the peak have been? Would we have, we would have snuck six in six and a half? Six and a half. Yeah. It was, I mean, they're under the trust think, budget. I it was think they fixed in six and a half. Dave, <laughs> Dave locked in at the peak. Which is the contraindicator. Um, so this is yeah, it's good. This is really interesting how the market's changed and. and you know, I put this chart up a lot with clients about mm. what the market thinks rates are going to do because clients often ask, you know, where are interest rates going to go mm. in the next year? And I and I, I point out this is what the market thinks and the market collectively is way smarter than me. But, you know, the other thing to point out is the market won't be right. It yeah. will change. And it, and it's very yeah. sensitive to the incoming data. And if, if unemployment ticks up and mm. the growth disappoints and inflation carries on weakening, then maybe the Bank of England will be forced to cut rates by more. Mm. Um, I think actually, I think the market may have over-egged this in the short term. I don't think they cut by five or six times in the States this year. They probably mm. cut two or three, but... It's interesting. I was listening to um, Howard Marks of um, is it Oak Tree. Oak Tree, Oak Tree Capital, Capital yeah. this morning, and he's um, he's usually... He, he, he's a he's a credit manager and mm. um, a very you know, amazing credit and bond manager, and he thinks long-term... He, he thinks Fed, Fed rates are going three and a half... By the yep. end of this year, end of this year, you know, okay. three, three and a half next year, and that's where they'll stay long term. Things yep. growth and be you know, be luck in the US, be lucky to get two. Well, that's the antithesis about what we talked about, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the, what we've talked about a lot in the pod has been how 
maybe we go into a structurally higher inflation environment, mm. absent the short-term gyrations. So there yeah. are other views, aren't there? And, all, and also the impact of rates on, on equity pricing. Um, I mean, this is, this is quite supportive of long-duration equities, isn't it? Yep, absolutely right. Um, so how did investors do? Uh, well, as you said, Husey, the, um, we've got a chart here of the aptly or handily, snappily titled MSCI PIMFER Balanced Index in total return terms. So if you are a typical balanced investor, you are up 10.1% in 2024. Now, I think the extraordinary thing about this chart is that if you were sat here on the 28th of October, mm. your portfolio was only up 2%. And in the last two months of the year, um, you made a further 8% and you ended up. So as the, the title suggests, it was a roller coaster year, but ultimately profitable, thanks to a terrific rally at the end of the year. That's quite, I mean, a typical balanced client would be 65% equities. Mm -hmm. The rest, you know, in theory, you know, fixed interest and alternatives, which have smaller upside than equities, it's pretty... I mean, so obviously some of that rally is from fixed interest and alternatives yeah. as well. But yeah. it's pretty amazing to have that return um, from where we were end of October, as you said. And and client, I think clients were feeling pretty awful mid October. Pretty beaten up, yeah. Because this comes off twenty twenty two, where most clients were down, you know, ten percent if not a bit more. Yeah. So the typical balanced sixty forty yeah. traditional investors probably back to where they were just about in yeah. January twenty twenty two. But that's only after a terrific two months, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. They were. You're right. At the end of October, we were all still down quite a long way yeah. from those highs. So, um, yeah, ultimately profitable, but difficult, yeah. and you had to stay in it. So the September, October, August, September, October, we were all talking about how you can get your five, six percent on cash, yeah. and that's great. But you would have missed out on ten percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So. I sort of like liken it to clients, you know, investment returns are not linear, are they? Like you made 10%, which was a better than average year, but mm. all your return came in two months. Mm. So you can't, you know, you just have to I be mean, in it this, and wait for the good times. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to timing the market versus timing the market. I mean, this was all because of a pivot from the Fed. And, and in reality, those, you know, that you had a, a very, very strong move in a handful of days. And, mm. You know, if you weren't invested at that point, you'd missed out quite a lot of the, the return. Mm. Um, yeah. So it is, you know, we talk about it a lot. I think a large part of our job is staying invested. Um, and holding. Yeah. And thinking about the long term and staying in a good quality business. Yes, totally. Totally. Uh, and then if we split that down into different asset classes, we've got a chart here of the, again, snappily titled, MSCI All Country World Index total return mm. in sterling terms. The dollar numbers look better. Um, so you made fifteen and a half percent in global equities through the year, but again, not dissimilar to the previous chart. You know, at the end of October, you're only up five percent, and you made, you know, a further ten percent in the last two months of the year. Um, if we break that down regionally into the next chart, we've got um, the USA MSCI USA in red which was up, uh, what, 17% just about, followed by Europe. Again, these are all sterling, so this is all in GBP. The S&P 500 index was up 25% in price terms, but that's in dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not quite so clever in sterling, because sterling was actually up against the dollar for a change. Um, emerging markets, the laggard, basically flat on the year, and that's mainly a China story. 
Um, the UK is here in um, green. Yeah, green. No, sorry. UK is in blue. Uh, seven and a half percent. Emerging markets green. Emerging markets in green, and what's the bottom one? Asia. That's Asia, ex yeah, Japan. Asia, ex Japan. So. Yeah, I mean, again, it was um, it was a story of U.S. Uh, American exceptionalism, yeah. as we've mentioned before. But actually, Europe had a sneaky good year. That, that Europe mm. number surprised me. Um, biggest I companies mean, in Europe: Nova Nordisk, LVMH. Yeah, I mean, Europe had a phenomenal first couple of months of the year. Didn't yeah, it? it was outperforming the U.S. by quite a decent quite amount. Quite a bit. I mean, it, Europe had a really bad twenty twenty two, didn't mm. it? So all of that was bounced back. But I remember sitting there in the summer probably end of the summer, and we said all the returns for the year have been driven in the first six weeks of the calendar year. And yeah, they were, you know, actually. Actually, uh, January. Yeah, closing 4 or 5% up. We'd, uh, we'd be happy with that. And then you've had this last couple of months rally, which... It's been great. Um, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And then I guess the story that we've we've been talking about incessantly has been the, uh, the Magnificent Seven. Um, Bloomberg have done their own index of Magnificent Seven, which we've um, shown here. And the Magnificent Seven, I assume this is, they are cap-weighted. Uh, the Magnificent Seven stocks are? Easy. Cap-weighted or? Cap I think it's cap-weighted, but I don't know. Do you, think, although, do you think they've done an equal weight? Maybe they have. Pass. So we've got Amazon, Apple, Google, Alphabet, Alphabet yeah. Tesla, NVIDIA. Yeah. Microsoft. Microsoft. And Meta. Facebook. So that's the seven. And um, this index is up 100% <laughs> versus the world, which was up, what, just sort of 20% we saw. Um, but interestingly, you know, we've talked about that last, the rally in the last two months yeah. of the year. But interestingly, these, the Magnificent Seven didn't do as well as the rest of the yeah. market in the last two months of the year. So it was a catch-up trade rather than a yeah. anything else. So most of that Magnificent Seven return came again in the first half of the year, didn't it? So they didn't, you know, they most of the return was done by July, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the broadening out of the index, broadening out of stocks and where we see additional value in terms of kind of small and mid-cap. Mm. Um, you know, we really have been waiting for this broadening out and it's you know, it's only just started really. But I, mean, I think if you look at NVIDIA over the last six months, it's, it's on a relative basis, I think it's underperformed. The S and P. I think that's right. Actually, I think it's underperformed um, on a relative basis since about July. Yeah, which is quite, um, quite phenomenal, really. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, but also the broadening out of the index is really quite healthy for returns going forward. Um, it's what we really wanted to see to give us a bit more confidence. I think when leadership is so narrow, and it stays so narrow, it's always of concern. We're always waiting for it to broaden into other companies and other sectors industries so that that for me would be positive to see that well it's good news for freddie late isn't it it is indeed <laughs> um, but i mean we you know we own a lot of these stocks and we they're great businesses and they're all they're different so it, you know again the problem with this these labels mm. magnificent seven is that we don't just lump them all in together sure some of the businesses share the same characteristics you know mm. argue meta and google are pretty similar it's all online advertising whether yeah. that's google search or youtube or instagram or facebook um, but you know, Microsoft and Nvidia and Apple do totally different things, right? Yeah. Uh, Tesla is a, a car manufacturer. Yeah. Apple's had a tough start to the year. It has. It has. It has. Uh, China woos. China woes. Are they gonna? Are they gonna flog any more iPhones? 
who knows? So, yeah, I mean, most of the year we've been talking about this, and if you didn't own anywhere near enough of these Magnificent Seven stocks, you you definitely didn't make 15 20% of your equities no, this year. Um, I don't know what the numbers are, but my guess is that these seven stocks made up more than half the overall return. Yeah, definitely. 60 65%, I think, is the number. Um, I think it was slightly more than that. Do you? Yeah. 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 Well, a lot anyway, because they are so dominant. They are such a big part of it. They uh, make up... Last time I checked, they were seventeen percent of the entire global equity market. Yeah. Seven stocks. Yeah. Um, we all know that Apple and Microsoft are each worth more than the, the London market. Uh, and then finally, on kind of asset class performance, we move over to bonds. Uh, here's a chart yeah. of corporate bonds in green. So if you lend your money to the likes of BP, Unilever, Diageo, uh, we've got gilts in UK standard UK government bonds in blue, also known as gilts. Uh, and red index-linked gilts, which again are, are government bonds. And in October, you were down. Yeah, <laughs> you were down on your gilts year to date, and you ended up positive. Yeah. Corporate bonds, the winner. You made ten percent last year in investing in corporate bonds, which is yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, but we talked about the attractiveness of fixed income, didn't we? Mm. You were getting four, five percent yields on government bonds. You were getting six, seven on corporates. Mm. Um, yields have fallen a little bit, and therefore you've made money on those bonds that you own. It's quite amazing how resilient. Corporate, corporates were throughout the summer actually if you look at the drawdown from yeah. gilts and linkers yeah because um, they were still positive end of end, end of october. october yeah they were yeah um, you had more coupon don't you so you get more income you do, so but i think on the other side you know you don't it's pretty easy to argue the balance sheet of corporates is far healthier than sovereigns governments it's controversial well <laughs> or governments robust it's going to tax you and me a bit more, Chief. That's all that's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, we've had horrible losses on government bonds for f one, two, three, five years going back before last year. So, to actually make some money in bonds was quite refreshing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if rates keep coming down... Um, you'll carry on doing well in bonds. It yeah. really will, yeah. yeah. But I do think, I think it's important to highlight, you know, the balance sheets of these good corporates. They are, you know, we... we, we you know, as investment managers, we're not the only ones worrying about what the state of the macro is. You know, you've got finance directors or operation um, executives thinking about what they can do to make the balance sheet stronger mm. or how they're going to prepare for things or what, what spend they've got, what the budgets are. So mm. I think, you know, you look, you look throughout, you look at corporates, certainly the, the better quality ones, and, um, yeah, they look in really good shape. It's, um, yeah, it's an attractive asset class. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, on the sort of bits of the alternative, I mean, we haven't gone into a huge amount of detail, we can touch on it, but um, commercial property uh, and commodities, I've chucked them on the same chart, even though they're not the same. Um, the blue line here is an index of UK listed um, real estate companies. So the likes of Segro, Land Securities, mm. British Land, Hammerson. Um, again, end of October, you were negative year to date and you ended up making making six and a half seven percent total return which is not you know yeah. not outstanding but still positive um on the other hand commodities which have been commodities are the only thing that made you money in 2022 mm. uh because of the war in ukraine because your price went up agriculture commodities and the the this is the bloomberg commodity index or this is actually an iShares um that tracks the bloomberg commodity index uh and that was actually down about 13 14 percent in 2023 uh, yeah 23 so unwinding some of those gains in 2022. It's almost done the inverse. Inverse. And, and it's done the inverse of a lot of things. So 
the kind of long-term theory about mm. commodities, we talked about it with Jamie Maddock when mm. he came on, is that they, they do form something of a hedge to a traditional 60-40 portfolio. Yeah. They do perform well in an inflationary environment, which is mm. exactly what you had. Yeah. So you yeah. can sort of, you know, can you accept a 5% of your portfolio in commodities, which is not going to make you any money in the long term, but does provide a bit mm. of ballast when everything else is kicking off? Um, certainly that's that's what the academic evidence suggests over the long term. Um, but yeah, commodities doing what commodities do. Uh, we talked about the oil price being pretty weak. Um, food prices have normalised a little bit from yeah. high levels. Um, I think so a lot of it's the China China. China story, yeah, yeah. In terms of metal prices, demand going forward for metals, mm -hmm. um, oil as well. Yeah, oh God, I, what what oil is presumably a pretty big proponent of. Um, uh, so I know this. Oil, energy is about thirty five percent. Actually, the biggest single component or single group is agricultural commodities, makes up forty percent. So soya, corn, okay. soy, corn, and wheat are the big three, and then you've got the others, orange juice. So has it been a tough year for the Raymond family? Uh, you better ask them that. But it, it won't be vintage, put it that way. Um, prices and weather. We don't need to talk about weather. Um, every farmer moans about the weather. Um, mm. So, yeah, uh, not vintage year by any stretch. Fields aren't underwater, are they? Not, no. Interestingly, Pembrokeshire, where my family are, they, they've had a lot of rain, but not mm. on a relative basis, not a huge more amount more than normal. Okay. Whereas the middle of the country has That's had a normal. very high... Yeah, yeah. Relative amount of rainfall relative to their yeah, own average table is um, record record levels yeah. in terms of height, isn't it? Yeah, we'll have a drought by uh, April. We will have a, it, and we'll have a hose pipe ban. So. It sort of feels like you know whether it's climate change, man-made or not, doesn't really matter. But we do seem to be getting these kind of extended weather patterns. Uh, periods but presumably, of rain. But, but this should be supportive for commodity prices, shouldn't it? You'd have thought so. It doesn't supply quite issues seem to be. But it's volatile, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I think that. that, that pretty much the story of the year i mean you know infrastructure and other bits of alternatives probably mm. looks very similar to commercial property um yeah because you know, it's it's all kind of yeah, yeah interest rate driven and things yeah um, except where you've had sort of micro events or there's been specialist you know there's been specific reasons for infrastructure having problems i think on the whole the infrastructure trust will be higher than where we started the year yeah yeah. Um, hedge funds have you got any view on that how have they done I think it's I think the environment for hedge funds is you know they need volatility but I think it's um, we've talked about it before but if rates are giving us what they're giving us I think the requirement for absolute return on hedge funds in our sort of portfolios we, do, we don't we don't need them as much do we because in reality we put them in there because we couldn't get anything on cash um to try and generate us a nice kind of less volatile return than yeah. other asset classes. Um, you know, typic typically, hedge funds charge quite large management fees and performance fees and then have to return better than cash, which yeah. is five and a quarter. Yeah. You know, really, they've probably got to return seven eights. I think that's quite hard, isn't it? I think you're right. I think the, um, mm. the raison d'etre for owning absolute return in hedge funds was a lot stronger when bond yields mm. and cash rates were naught. Um, then if you can get four percent until you guilt or five percent on cash, then yeah, you know I mean, you, I think, you need additional return on the hedge fund, don't yeah. you, to take the risk and pay the fees. So are you going to get it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe you will. Maybe I think there's, there's specialist managers and there's you know whether you're doing it 
whether you're looking at investment trust discounts or whatever else, or or, or just open, you know, just normal hedge fund um, with with open ended strategies. I think you know there are opportunities, but I think there's less less of a requirement. Um, I don't know. I've, I've probably a balanced index has hedge funds waiting at twelve and a half. Uh, below ten. About below ten. Mm. We've reduced it. We yeah. uh, so as a firm. No, so um, I was talking about bet, um, oh, and the benchmark. The PIM, oh, the, the, yeah, so the, the PIM for index has got twelve and a half in it. Yeah, yeah you're right. I'm not yeah. sure you need that. No, no, I, I, I totally agree with you, and you're preaching to the converted here. Um, so what? I mean, if you sort of look, scan these charts and look mm. at what's done well. I mean, what what do we think happens in 2024? I mean, do we think we get the recession that we probably thought we were going to get, or do we have this? mystical soft landing where central banks bring rates down and I mean, growth we, continues we, we could have already had it i mean was it 2021 we had two the us had two quarters yeah. negative growth yeah. so you had a technical yeah, yeah, yeah. recession yeah. which was printed after because the numbers were adjusted yeah i mean maybe we've already had it um i don't know i mean consumer demand has been extraordinary i mean we before rates started moving we said rates can't, you know, the, the world said rates can't go above 4% because the world goes bust because mm -hmm. no one can afford the repayments. And, you know, in the UK, we've got rates of five and a quarter. And, yeah, I'm not saying it's easy for everyone at all. I think it's, I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's a struggle. There's a cost of living crisis. I think, you know, if you've, if you've, your mortgage rate's gone from one and a half, two to five, you know, that's going to have a massive impact. But, um you know, we have seen good salary increases um, across employment. I yeah. think, you know, the, the consumer obviously saved and was a lot more sensible through COVID than I think any of us appreciated. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think... Yeah, when the, the, the bullish scenario is people carry on getting 5% wage rises yeah, and inflation comes down, so interest rates come down a bit. The mortgage reset shock isn't mm. as great in aggregate as it mm. might have otherwise have been because as we've seen rate expectations have fallen hugely mm. um i think but again we've probably said it before but a recession isn't the end of the world either i mean no that's a good point it's the type it's of very emo it's a know, very emotive word yeah i mean recession is is you know i think a lot of people associate recession with um the end of the world you know the financial crisis was probably the last time everyone thinks of a, of a bad recession and obviously that was a, a horrific time but we're in a very different position now i think you know a couple of quarters of slowing growth resetting i do I, I, isn't isn't the worst thing in the world in some ways it'd be nice to get through it and into it because the market would look out the other side um but also i you know i'm really of the belief you know i think sectors have had recessions at different points throughout the yeah. last two years 2022 you had how many layoffs in tech microsoft laid off fifteen thousand people in 2022 yeah. facebook and yeah facebook share right. price end fell 70 percent end of 21 you know, to say they didn't go through a recession is you know bonkers but i do think you've had that rotating recession through sectors it hasn't all come at once um and some of the sectors or some of the industries have come out the other side um, and things are looking more healthy. You know, look at autos at the moment. It looks dreadful, but you, know, you look across the industrials. It, it looks really right. okay. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't. You know, I don't. I don't see. It. I don't. You know, certainly don't see a two thousand and eight type recession. 
environment. Never say never. We'll come back and play that one back to you next year. <laughs> I'm not making predictions this year. You're not. That's what you're here for. No. Okay. I'll fine. let you go first. You're the. Uh, uh, so my prediction host. actually, the economy slows a bit more than people think. I think that mm-hmm. I think I think that the recession type chatter. I think it was delayed, not you know, not necessarily yep. postponed or postponed rather than you know cancelled. Um, I think the equity markets, I think financial markets are a tad optimistic in the short term, uh, uh, and that, you know, we've had a we've had a pretty iffy start to January, haven't we? Yeah. You know, you mentioned Apple's down six percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're a three yeah. trillion dollar company, it's quite a lot, quite a lot of cash to lose. Um, so you've seen a bit of weakness so far this year, as yeah. those that optimistic feel around Christmas time has been tempered a bit. Yeah, and we had some of the big stocks sort of warm towards the end of last year, didn't we? We had Diageo with with a wobble, yeah. You know, Unilever um, had, was was slightly soft. You've had, um, you know, you've had JD's recently. JD Sports, yeah, I mean, hit pretty hard. Um, um, although Next look quite resilient. Next look good. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, in aggregate. What I sort of say to clients is global equities and valuation terms are in line with their 30-year average. That includes the likes of Tesla, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, Microsoft, which you could argue were slightly overvalued, and we've talked about that in the pod. You can buy bonds yielding 4 5 6%, depending on what you want to buy, government or corporate, high-quality corporate, and you're getting 5% on cash. So it's not disastrous. I mean, it's a pretty good mix. But, I mean, even if... You know, and even if earnings expectations are slightly too high and, you know, equity pricing is around its long-term average, maybe it's 5% above, I'd, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it's a sell. No. It means it's still a very good hold for the long term mm. because, as you said before, Tim Cook wakes up every day and his sole job sole is to job get is his share price up. So you invest yeah. with these very good people. Um, I think... Yeah, it sounds stupid, but because the market's higher than it was this time last year, but I think I feel more comfortable. You know, the, the, I think the landscape is more attractive at this point mm. than it was this time last year. You know, rates are, as you highlighted, you know, corporate bonds are guilt to returning what they are. Um, saving rate, rates are return, returning what they are. And equities don't look expensive. No, not um, the slightest. But that, I mean, equities can look cheap and get cheaper. Yeah. You and I think about equity valuations, it sort of tends to be, well, what does that mean for five or ten years? And, mm. and then, because that's the only real lesson you can draw from valuation is well, it yeah. says more about the long term than the short term. The short term can be dictated by pretty much anything, but mainly yeah. sentiment. Yeah. Um, so if the economy does fine and earnings grow by ten percent as the market currently expects, then it should be okay. It should mm. be all right. Um, but I, I mean, I'm I'm utterly hopeless on short term. I, I just I find it pretty pointless. So what will be will be in the short term and as long as we're guiding to the north star of the long term and we're you know mm. keeping an eye on that we'll be fine indeed i think um i still think rotation away from the big stocks makes sense i think there's a lot in it um it doesn't mean you sell the big stocks i think they're brilliant companies um i just think it, it wouldn't be a bad thing to see a broadening out mm. of some other sectors some other companies which still look too cheap um and if that happened i'd be very happy I yeah we all would yeah um, i think that's i think that's fair uh, and we've had a, already had a little bit of that but yeah that if that continues that would be good news i think for financial markets as a whole yeah. 
Um, but that's not that's not a wholesale sell on Apple by any stretch. But no, no. Good. All right. Well, should we uh, should we leave it there? We've got a few guests lined up for the we next uh, few weeks and months, haven't we? So um, our listeners can, can uh, listeners look can... forward to two people other than us. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Good. Well, with that, we shall uh, leave you to it. Thanks very much for joining us today. Any questions, then uh, let us know. He's james.hughes at quarterachiever.com and I'm jonathan.raymond at quarterachiever.com and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Thank you.